This episode, we talk about the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and reactions to a vacant Supreme Court seat less than two months from an election. We also go over some of the fundamentals about how our country was designed to work. My name is Jacqueline, and I'm just an American. Well, just when we thought things couldn't get any more contentious, less than two months before the 2020 presidential election, Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies, freeing up a seat on the Supreme Court. Republicans have vowed to work to fill the seat before the election, and Democrats are absolutely furious. A part of their fury is over the fact that in 2016, after the death of Antonin Scalia, the Republican Senate refused to vote on Obama's nominee, even though the election was nine months away. Now we are within two months and they are vowing that they are going to fill this seat. I can understand the Democrats being mad about this. I can. I often try in politics to put the shoe on the other foot to try and ask myself, what would my reaction be if the situation were reversed in order to try and give myself some semblance of objectivity? And I would be very unhappy as well. There would probably be a lot of accusations on my part of hypocrisy over the fact that in 2016, they wanted to wait for a presidential election so that the people could decide. And now they're not. They're pushing it through. But the reality is, is that Just because you are mad about something doesn't actually mean that you are right. One thing that the left in America doesn't seem to understand is that just because they are angry about something, just because things are happening that you don't like, doesn't actually mean that what is happening is some travesty under our system of government. The fact of the matter is that regardless of how angry people are about the situation, the Republicans in the Senate absolutely have the right to confirm a Supreme Court justice to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Trump absolutely has the right under the Constitution to put a nominee forward, and the senators absolutely have the right to hold their hearings and vote on whether or not to confirm that person. Likewise, back in 2016, the Republicans in the Senate absolutely had the right to say, we are not going to approve the nominee that Barack Obama put forward because we want to wait for the election in November. Here is what Article 2 of the Constitution says about appointing a Supreme Court justice. The president shall nominate and with the advice and consent of the Senate shall appoint judges of the Supreme Court. The Constitution does not say anything about when the Senate has to actually approve or not approve or vote on the nominee that the president puts forward. There is no rule in the Constitution that says that senators have to approve the nominee that the president puts forward. And there is no rule in the Constitution that says that a president cannot put forward a nominee during an election year. Those rules simply do not exist. Anybody who is telling you that Donald Trump putting forth a nominee to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the Senate voting to confirm that nominee before the election, anybody who tells you that that is unconstitutional is lying to you. It's just simply not true. Whether or not we like it, they absolutely have the right to do what they are currently doing. And there is a history for doing so. Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself was appointed three months before an election. We have seen in history situations where when the Senate is controlled by the same party as the White House, they absolutely push nominees through during an election year. And when the Senate is not controlled by the same party as the White House, they will hold off and want and want to wait for the election. 
The fact that these two situations presented themselves so close together absolutely puts forth this image of hypocrisy on the part of Mitch McConnell. But the reality is, is that this is just politics and what he is doing is allowed under the Constitution. The thing that's really important for people to remember is that the Senate of the United States is voted for by the American people. They have a job to represent their constituents and their states. And Republican Americans, conservative Americans want to see the seat filled. That is just the reality. There is this odd kind of notion that liberals have where they seem to pretend that Republican elected officials are not working on behalf of the segment of the American people who elected them, but they are. And I think that a big part of this kind of misconception is in the fact that so many liberal Americans, not all of them, of course, but so many of them are able to live in a bubble. They are able to live in a situation where they are in an echo chamber. Their views, their ideology, their policy positions are echoed by Hollywood. They are echoed by academia and all of the universities. They are echoed by the big tech companies. They are echoed by the mainstream media and so many different organizations. They are in many cases even echoed by corporations in America, big tech companies, as I mentioned, Apple and Google and all of those who are in control of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, they are all promoting this same message, this liberal message. And so it really is possible for so many liberal Americans to live in this kind of bubble where they think that the conservative Americans, that Republican American voters are the minority, that we are the fringe, that we are just this quiet group or, you know, this random small group of people in the middle of the country. And the vast majority of Americans believe what they believe. And therefore, this is all some sort of a travesty. But it just isn't. The Senate has the right to do all of this, and they are doing it as a way to represent their voters. I would actually even put forth the theory that one of the main reasons why Republican politicians are doing what they're doing and so determined to put a Supreme Court justice on the court to replace Ruth Bader Ginsburg is because they are finally starting to understand what their voters actually want. Republican and conservative Americans for way too long over the last few decades have seen too many of our politicians cave under the pressure of the media narrative. As the media has gone after these people in pretty vicious ways, we have seen them basically roll over and do nothing. George W. Bush famously ignored all of the media criticism against him in an effort to, quote unquote, rise above it instead of addressing and contradicting some of the more terrible accusations against him. In the 2012 election, Mitt Romney versus Barack Obama. After the first debate, when Mitt Romney really took it to Barack Obama and attacked him on the policies that he enacted that really did not go well, Mitt Romney saw his poll numbers increase dramatically. And after that, I remember the just anger and frustration that so many conservatives felt over the fact that Mitt Romney basically took his foot off the gas pedal. He seemed all to cave under these accusations that he was putting forth a war on women and that he was a racist. And in the words of Joe Biden, he was going to, quote, put y'all back in chains when speaking to African-Americans. So and he caved. He just didn't want to come across as this bad guy. And so in the next two debates, he was very soft 
soft on Obama and he ended up losing the presidency. Even Congress, which was controlled by Republicans during the first two years of Trump's presidency, really pushed back against a lot of the things that not only Trump wanted, but that the American people, the right in this country, wanted. Okay, people on the right in this country want Planned Parenthood to be defunded. People on the right in this country want secure borders, and yet they refused to fund the border wall. There are countless examples of what they refused to do, even though they had both houses of Congress, even though they had the presidency, and even though this is what right-wing America wants. What liberal Americans don't understand about conservatives is that we are fed up. We are fed up with the left playing as dirty as they want and our politicians rolling over for it. Okay, when when Obamacare was passed, when they passed the Affordable Care Act, we all remember the slimmest of margins that that bill, which completely overhauled our entire health care system, that it passed on such a slim margin that so many of so many Americans felt that it was rammed down our throats. But here's the reality is that the liberal politicians in this country don't care. And they don't care partially because they have the media on their side. So it's definitely harder for Republicans to stand up to that massive machine. But the reality is still that they don't care. They don't care that half of the country is not supportive of their ideas. They don't care about that. They are going to do whatever it takes to get their ideas put forward. And now Republicans are saying, well, if that's how it's going to be, then we want our politicians to do the same thing. This is what the election of Donald Trump in 2016 was largely and the vast majority of what it was about. And it seems like so many people still don't want to recognize that fact. There, It is about a segment of society that has had enough. It is about a segment of our nation that wants a politician in office who is going to fight against the bias in the media that is so obvious to everybody. It is about a politician in office who is going to fight to push for conservative policies to be put into place. The same exact way that Democratic Americans, that liberal Americans, Americans want the Democratic Party to fight for their values and for their policies. Conservatives want the exact same thing. The Senate in the United States is elected by the people. That means that the fact that it has a Republican majority is due to the fact that Republicans voted those people into office. There is nothing corrupt about doing something that the Constitution absolutely gives them the power to do. And the fact that Democrat American politicians and media pundits are putting forth this talking point saying that somehow this is a this is an example of corruption. How is it corrupt to do something that the Constitution expressly gives them the power to do? It just does not make sense. For all the talk about how Trump is damaging our institutions, the truth is, is that the left are the ones who are constantly attacking how our nation works. Harry Reid is the one who actually changed Senate rules to abolish the filibuster in 2013. He is the one who made it possible for Supreme Court nominees to be approved on a simple majority vote instead of needing the 60 votes in the Senate. He, a Democrat, actually changed the rules of the Senate in order to make it easier for them to put forth their nominees. And yet somehow it is the Republicans who are doing something bad by having the president put forth a nominee and having the Senate vote for them, which is not changing any rules. It is perfectly in line with the rules of the Constitution on how this entire process works. Democrats are calling for packing the Supreme Court. And the truth is, is that they've been calling for this for a while now. They've been calling for this um, since the Kavanaugh 
hearings. What they're calling for is that if they were to get into power, they would, again, change the rules in order to make there be more justices on the Supreme Court. So yes, this is something that is actually allowed in the Constitution. It does grant Congress the right to decide how the the Supreme Court is formed. Okay, but for all of the talk about ignoring constitutional norms or ignoring what we, you know, kind of the traditions and whatnot of our country. We have had nine justices on the Supreme Court since 1869. Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself said that she did not agree with the notion of packing the Supreme Court because the idea is, is that if you do that and if the Democrats say, okay, well, there's nine justices and five of them or six of them are more conservative. So what we're going to do is we're going to change the number of justices. We're going to add six more justices so that we can have a majority Democrat and fill it with the seats that we want it to fill. You're trying to tell me, this is something that they are clearly saying that they want to do. They are openly calling for it. You're trying to tell me that that is not, that is better than a president who is still president two months before an election, putting forth a nominee and a Senate who is still in control of the Senate voting on that person. You're trying to tell me that that is bad, but somehow having our Congress change the entire makeup of the Supreme Court so that they are able to put their politicians forward, that that is not extreme, that that is not changing our institutions and changing our constitutional norms. Okay, that that argument simply does not make sense. Another thing that the Democrats are doing is they are basically attacking the entire idea of the Senate. They don't like the idea that the Senate is not based on population, that it is not based on the population of the country. They don't like the idea that every single state in the United States has two senators despite their population. This attack on the the fundamental makeup of the Senate, and it also goes in line with the attack on the Electoral College, okay, because Democrats hate the Electoral College, of course, because Trump lost the popular vote, but won the Electoral College, and George W. Bush in his first election did the same thing. So Democrats hate the Electoral College, and they're calling for an abolishment of the Electoral College. This attack on these two institutions of our nation show, I'm sorry, but they show a profound and fundamental ignorance of our nation's history, how things work, and why the founders did what they did. The American Revolutionary War ended in 1783, and our Constitution was not ratified until 1787. The reason for this was because in the beginning, our nation was a collection of independent colonies or independent states. Those states fought fiercely to keep their independence and to keep control over what goes on in their in their states and their laws and all of the things that they wanted to happen. This is the basic foundation of our country. The whole reason why those states were able to come together and agree on the Constitution was because they had a guarantee of some semblance of equal representation when it came to the federal government and what happened in the federal government. There are processes, there are situations, there are allowances in place to account for population differences. Okay, the Electoral College, the number of electors that each state has, is based on the number of people who live in that state. There is the House of Representatives, which again, the number of representatives from your state is based on the number of people who live in that state. So there are situations in place in the form of our government to account and to give that voice to the states that have greater population. But the way that our system is set up is so that a small state or a state that is sparsely populated like Wyoming 
Wyoming is not going to have its rights completely trampled on by a state like California, a state that has completely different values, a state that has completely different ideologies, and a state that just happens to have a much larger population. All of these checks and balances that our government is so famous for, they are there for a reason. They are there to give the people a voice and give the majorities a voice, but at the same time, protect the rights of the minorities, protect the rights of the states that do not have perhaps these, you know, great large populations because maybe they don't have as many big cities or for whatever reason. The move towards full majority rule, it was not, has never been how our system was supposed to work. That is not what the founders wanted. In fact, it is the complete opposite of what the founders wanted because the founders understood that majority rule led to mob rule. And so this attack that Democrats have against the Electoral College and against the Senate and the way that the Senate works, it is pretty fundamental. It is pretty foundational, an attack against the way that our nation was designed to work. And I think that a lot of people simply don't understand it or they don't understand the whys behind it or they feel like they're in the majority and they don't care. They just want their will and they just want their policies to be put forward. So it's just always a little bit rich when I hear Democratic leaders talking about Trump's overriding or destruction of our institutions or ignoring of our constitutional norms when they are the ones who want to pack the Supreme Court. They are the ones who want to turn the Senate into either a majority rule body or want to eliminate it altogether. They are the ones who are constantly calling for the elimination of the Electoral College. They are the ones who are proposing statehood to certain uh, territories that we have because they are more Democrat and more liberal territories and that will give them more power. They are the ones that are attacking the very fundamentals of our nation and how it functions. And yet they are accusing Republicans of doing that because Republicans are putting forth a nominee for the Supreme Court vacancy and the Senate is saying that they're going to vote on it. Those two things just do not go together. And this really goes to what has become a common refrain from the left in America, at least those on the left who have the voice, which is this idea that if we do not get what we want, if we do not get our way, then we have to completely change the system. We have to destroy the institution. We have to tear it down and rebuild it. Okay, they haven't controlled the Senate in a while, so we need to change the way the Senate is decided. Republicans are in a position to fill fill numerous Supreme Court seats, so we need to change the way the Supreme Court works and add justice is to pack it. We don't like that there are some police officers who maybe behave in a way that we don't like. So we need to completely defund and dismantle police departments across the country. There are some people in America who have been or are racist. And so we need to tear down every institution and start over. Trump won and we don't like him. So it had to be due to Russian collusion or him stealing the election. Stacey Abrams loses in Georgia in the, in the governor's race. And it must be due to voter suppression. I could go on and on. There are so many examples of situations in which Democrats simply cannot accept when things don't go their way. And instead of working harder to earn more votes next time, instead of instead of saying this is why to our, their voters, this is why you need to vote for us. We need to control the Senate so that when these Supreme Court vacancies come up, then we can you know, have control over who fills those seats. This is why you should vote for Joe Biden. They don't want to work within our system of government. They want to tear the systems down. Democratic leadership, including Chuck Schumer, has said that if Republicans move to hold a vote on this, that, quote, nothing is off the table. What does that mean? What does that mean that nothing is off the table? 
like what exactly are they putting forward as an idea to stop this from happening? You know how they stop this from happening? They vote. Chuck Schumer is a senator. If he doesn't want to confirm Donald Trump's nominee for the Supreme Court, then he votes against that person. That's what they have in their arsenal. Democrats are allowed to be mad. They are. They're allowed to be mad. The the senators are allowed to vote no. They are allowed to speak out. Liberal citizens are allowed to call their senators. They are allowed to peacefully protest on the steps of the Supreme Court or on the steps of Congress. They are allowed to do that. But what they cannot do is resort to some of these more extreme measures. Um, some people have floated the idea of working to impeach Donald Trump in order to stop this from moving forward. That is not how impeachment is supposed to be used. It's not. We do not impeach the president of the United States because we don't want him to fulfill a role that is outlined in the Constitution for him to do because in that role, he's making a decision that we don't like. That is not how our system is set up to work. What else, The other thing that cannot happen is violence. And it is very disheartening to me to see how many liberals across America are openly calling for violence when if the Republicans do this thing. Reza Aslan, who used to have a show on CNN, wrote on his Twitter, if they even try to replace RBG, we burn the entire effing thing down. Political writer Laura Bassett said, if McConnell jams someone through, which he will, there will be riots, more bigger riots. Australian astrophysicist Dr. Jesse Christensen tweeted, quote, if they ram through an appointment in the next two months, I will riot. This is an actual nightmare. Writer Bo Willimon wrote, we're shutting this country down if Trump and McConnell try to ram through an appointment before the election. Political commentator Katie Herzog wrote, quote, all we can hope for in times like these is that Mitch McConnell has a stroke and from laughing too hard. To clarify, I don't want him to die. I just want him to be brain dead. I'm not a monster. Hmm, interesting. Someone named Amy Brown wrote on Twitter, stop telling me to vote. I'm gonna vote. I've been voting. Tell me when we're meeting outside Mitch McConnell's house. Professor Emmett McFarlane wrote on Twitter, burn Congress down before letting Trump try to appoint someone to SCOTUS. So this is not something that is just one or two random people on Twitter. These are a lot of these people have had shows on cable news networks. They are writers for major publications and they a lot of them have blue check marks on Twitter and they are openly calling for violence. Let's just have a reminder here that the actual textbook definition of terrorism is people who commit acts of violence for political reasons. Okay, we have seen, what we have seen in America over the last several months is political violence. When we see the riots, when we see businesses burned down and people shot and killed, this is over political reasons. This is when they say we're doing all of this because this is how we're getting people's attention. Because if we don't do this, then nobody listens to us. That is violence for political reasons. We live in the United States of America. You have freedom of speech. You have freedom to peacefully protest. You have a vote if you are a citizen without a felony record, you have the freedom to call your senators, to call your representatives. You have the freedom to run for office yourself. There are a lot of things in this country that we can do, that we have the freedom to do, that we are blessed with the freedom to do in order to make changes and in order to move the country in the direction that we want it to go in. What we do not get to do is commit acts of violence, threaten acts of violence, or incite people to commit acts of violence because we are not happy with something that is going on in the world of politics. 
All right. So just a few final points on this issue. So there is this rumor going around, and I'm not sure if it's accurate or not, but supposedly Ruth Bader Ginsburg, one of the last wishes that she, I guess, expressed to a granddaughter is that she hoped that her seat would not be filled until a new president is elected. And I'm not sure if she said that or not. I really hope she did it because quite honestly, that demonstrates a complete lack of understanding of the systems in America. Those are the kinds of requests that go against the, again, the basic fundamental principles of what America is. America is not a monarchy. We are not England with the class system where titles are bestowed upon, you know, other members of the family. That is not, that's not how we do things here in America. Ruth Bader Ginsburg did not own her seat. Ruth Bader Ginsburg occupied her seat on the Supreme Court in service to the people of the United States of America. The Constitution dictates when and how her seat should be filled. She does not. So that is something that I just wanted to touch on that if that was true. Um, a lot of people, you know, are on the left are saying, oh, well, if we don't do this, then we are not honoring her dying wish. We don't have to honor her dying wish when it comes to filling her Supreme Court seat. It was not her seat to own and to dictate how it was going to be filled. Another thing to keep in mind is that the level of stress and anxiety people are feeling over a vacancy on the Supreme Court demonstrates that the Supreme Court is not being used the way that it should be used. The Supreme Court was never meant to have the level of power that it currently has. Thomas Sowell said it best. He tweeted out, if judges confined themselves to acting like judges instead of legislating from the bench, creating new rights out of thin air that are nowhere to be found in the Constitution, maybe Senate confirmation here for Supreme Court nominees would not be such bitter and ugly ideological battles, end quote. That is 100% correct. Judges on the Supreme Court legislate. Democrats in America use the Supreme Court to pass legislation that they cannot get passed in the Senate, in the House, in Congress, okay? Congress are the ones and the only ones who are supposed to write laws. The president is not supposed to do it, and the Supreme Court is not supposed to do it. And yet many, many times throughout history, we have seen the Supreme Court legislate from the bench. And the fact of the matter is, is that Democrats have used this tool in order to, again, pass laws that they want to see enacted that they cannot get passed in Congress on a federal level. So what are some examples of this? Well, the big one that everybody is worried about, Roe v. Wade. Okay, Roe v. Wade was a perfect example of the Supreme Court of the United States finding a right in the Constitution that is not actually there. They read a sentence in the Constitution and according to their interpretation of it, they said that it applies to abortion. It does not. There is nothing about abortion in the Constitution of the United States of America. That is a fact. Also a fact. Let's just say, even though the odds of it happening are astronomically low, but let's just say that the Supreme Court actually did succeed in overturning Roe v. Wade. That does not mean that abortion in America suddenly becomes illegal. That is not how that works. If Roe v. Wade were overturned, that would simply be a law that is decided at the state level. If the federal government wanted to create a law about that, about that topic and about abortion, they would need the representatives, they would need the votes to do that. But it would go back most likely to a state level, which means that you would have a state like California, a state like New York, which would have no restrictions whatsoever on abortion. And then you would have possibly more conservative states, more religious states that would have more restrictions on abortion. Okay. But the truth is, is that they could not get 
abortion rights passed across the country. And so they looked to the Supreme Court to do it. The exact same thing was done with the topic of gay marriage in America. It was not that long ago, as most adults remember, where same-sex weddings and same-sex couples could not legally marry in any state in the United States. Back in 2008, for example, there was a proposition on the ballot in the state of California, the extremely liberal state of California. This was known as Proposition 8, and it was on the ballot, and what it did was it created a an amendment to the state constitution that said that marriage was between a man and a woman. This proposition passed. It passed among the voters. So again, in super liberal California, 52% of people voted yes to ban same-sex marriage in, in California, compared to 47% of people who did not want that to be an amendment. So even in super liberal California, they were voting down legalizing same-sex marriage. And what ended up happening is that Democrats took it to court. Proposition eight, for example, was ultimately ruled unconstitutional by a federal court in 2010. Um, and then ultimately it ended up at the Supreme Court. It went, it was go through different state legislatures and oftentimes the voters would vote no, even in liberal states, as I mentioned. And what happened is, is that then people in those states, Democrats, liberals would take it to court and the courts were ruling that any ban on same-sex marriage was unconstitutional, that it, shouldn't, it would not be allowed. And then ultimately it ended up at the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court ruled the same way. Okay, again, this is something that we just simply do not find in the Constitution. There is no right to marriage of any kind in the Constitution of the United States. And yet the Supreme Court twisted and dug and, you know, used their interpretation of the Constitution in order to legalize this right and to say that this right is outlined in the Constitution when it is not. So over the course of the last several several decades, the left in America has been using the Supreme Court as a legislative branch in order to pass laws or to say that certain things have to be legal that they could not get passed when it came to the voters and on a state by state level. Now, whether you agree with same sex marriage or whether you agree with abortion rights actually should be irrelevant in the course of this conversation, because what we are talking about is we are talking about how our system works. There is a reason why we are not just one country made up of one state. We are one country made up of 50 individual states. Those individual states are extraordinarily diverse when it comes to the type of people the values that those people have and the way that people want to live in the different states across the country. And the fact that the Democrats in America have been using the Supreme Court in this way, this is the reason why liberals are so upset and traumatized over the idea of having a conservative Supreme Court is because they, when you pass your legislation through the Supreme Court, then all it takes is a conservative Supreme Court in order to overturn those rulings and overturn those legislations. And these are people who are not elected by the American voters, okay? Congress is elected by American voters. That that is why they are the ones who are responsible for making law in this country, not the justices on the Supreme Court. But when we 
twist this around and we turn it into something that it was never meant to be, we now find ourselves in this situation. The death of a Supreme Court justice should not ever cause this level of anxiety and turmoil in our country. No one person in the United States of America ever was supposed to be that fundamental to the direction that our country went in. This is the whole purpose of checks and balances. And the reason why we find ourselves in all of these difficult situations is because so many Americans simply do not understand how our government is supposed to work. And so many politicians take advantage of that lack of understanding. One final point on all this, obviously, this situation is going to have an impact on the election. And I think that the way that specific politicians respond to this situation is going to sway the voters' minds when it comes to what they decide to do in November. Right now, you have a lot of Democrats who are making some pretty serious threats about what their reaction is going to be should they gain control if Donald Trump and Mitch McConnell move forward in replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg and approving a new Supreme Court justice. And while I do think that there are plenty of liberal American voters who don't care about how our systems work, they don't care about how things are supposed to function. All they want is to see their policies enacted and all they want is to see the Republican policies stopped. While I'm sure that there are a lot of people in this country who feel that way and who are going to be more motivated to go and vote in November for Democrats in order to make some of these changes, packing the court, adding states in order to gain control in the Senate, impeaching even, moving to impeach President Trump for, you know, in order to stop this from happening. While there may be a lot of liberal American voters who are encouraged by that, I do think that they are playing with fire. I think that there are going to be a lot of American voters who are going to see this and say, you know what, we don't need to dismantle and change so many of our systems. We don't need to change the way our government works simply for you guys to be able to get control. Again, it was Harry Reid who changed the rules in the Senate that made it easier for them to choose Supreme Court justices and confirm them in the first place. They are the ones who are constantly changing the rules for how the game is played in order to help them win. And I think that they need to be careful because I think a lot of Americans are going to look at that and be very concerned about it. I also believe that there is a really good chance that these moves are going to create many problems in the future. When you look at the situation where so many Democratic politicians are looking to remove power, remove the voice, remove the vote from states, some of those states that really do rely on their two senators in order to have their voice heard, when they really do rely on the Electoral College in order to have the voices of their citizens heard. When you look at those states being told, you're not going to be able to do that anymore, we are going to overrule and override your voice, um, you might really find yourself in a situation where there are certain states in this country who say, we're not going to do this anymore. There there is so much concern among the American people that we are headed towards a civil war. We hear this conversation all the time that people look around and they see how divided we are. They see how just contentious everything is. And they're very concerned about us heading towards a civil war. And it's kind of hard to vision, envision that because it's not a situation like our civil war where you have the northern region and the southern region and it was so kind of clear cut. And I think in modern days, it's kind of hard 
for people to envision that. It's hard to envision any sort of a war, actual war, full on war on American soil. And maybe it will never get to that. But I do think that if some of these proposals that Democrats are making do move forward, you are going to see certain states in the country who are going to fight back. They're not just going to sit back and allow their voices and the voices of their citizens to be drowned out by California and New York. They're just not going to do it. And so I do believe that all of this is a very dangerous road that the Democrats want to take us down. I think it's far more dangerous than one Supreme Court seat. And so I just hope and pray that the American people see that, that we understand that our institutions are there for a reason. Our checks and balances are there for a reason. And just because your policies are not prevailing, just because you are not getting what you want out of the government, that doesn't mean that the solution is to tear the government down. What it means is that the solution is for you to go out and earn votes. It is for you to go out and tell the American people why they should vote for you and why they should vote for your party and why they should put you in charge. That is how you make changes. That is how our system is set up and designed to work. And all of the talk that people are putting out there right now about dismantling our systems, changing our systems, that is the actual scary road to go down. That is the actual threat to the future of our country. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps each and every week. Also, please share this episode with a family member or friend so we can help spread the word. You can follow me on Twitter at JJ and American. You can also message the show by sending an email to JJ at I'm just an American.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I'm just an American. Thank you for taking a moment out of your day to talk about the Supreme Court vacancy and some of the fundamentals of American government. I'll be back next time for a deep dive into issues plaguing American life from the perspective of just an American. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Michael Beatty. You can find him on Twitter at Michael Beatty3.